Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, Galaxy Finance. Sponsors and personal friends that I trust, that I trust enough to go to with questions about my own finances. That's not a sales pitch, that's fact. Any questions, any queries, they have the solutions from home loan lending to complete financial planning. With official interest rates at an all-time low, the lenders want your business. With Galaxy Finance, they'll do all the work for you and find the best possible deal. They'll do it all. Get in contact, ask for Leanne, and mention Unfiltered for a free chat. A free chat. No obligations. A free chat just by mentioning Unfiltered. Galaxyfinance.com.au is where you can find them. The great ones, they're different. They really are. Not better, just different. Sure, there's a physical power, a mental strength, a complex but resolute constitution too. There's a whole lot more than just the measurables. That's something else, that intangible. It separates us from them. Welcome to the Legends series on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. What a story, what a journey. So many successes, yet so humble and with a wisdom and logic that defies his 61 years. The flowing blonde locks went long ago, the speed too. The rest, the rest of this bloke, as sharp as ever. This is a story of a kid destined for greatness, in his words. But who is Peter Sterling? I hope a good dad and a a good husband. I'd like to think that um, when we look back on on our lives, that that they are the two things that I would hope would stand out for me. Um, Peter Sterling has been very, very fortunate in regards to he was able to pursue a profession that he absolutely loved, um, and and that's you know from a young age. So I've, I've been very blessed to be around. My passion, yeah, and that's what we all want to be. You know, when you wake up in the morning and you're looking forward to what you're doing for the rest of the day, you can't. You know, there's no more satisfactory way mm. to live your life. And whilst I guess that answer for a lot of other people in regards to who is Peter Sterling would look very, very different. For me, the most important thing is that I'm a good dad and I'm a good husband, and I, I like to think that I work really hard every day on being both of those. Not sure really where to start here. Maybe the best part is I'm a 1971 model. I grew up as an Eels fan about 10 minutes from Parramatta Stadium. Like most kids of the era, you were the one, the hero. Players become heroes and by default to the impressionable, they become role models, I guess. When broken down like that, the responsibility of being a footballer is far more serious than what happens in 80 minutes on a weekend. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll put my hand up. I wasn't a great role model going back to those days. I I wasn't punctual. 
Mm. Um, and it took me a while to realise how rude that was, that I, you know, I wasn't on time. Mm. Um, there were many aspects of my personality that I look back now that I wish I'd been better at. Mm. I guess the one thing that I can say is that my work ethic was always very, very good in regards yes. to my football. Um, I wasn't blessed. I, I wasn't big, strong, fast, endowed with an you know, enormous amount of ability. But I worked really hard. I don't think anybody worked harder on it. And I worked very, very hard on the mental side of the game mm. um, because I realised that that was going to be the difference as to whether I made it and was able to cut it in first grade in Sydney mm. is that, you know, between the years that I was, you know, strong in comparison to others. So, yep. um, yeah, I, you know, role, role model gets thrown around and, and yes, you, you, you are, if people perceive you that way, you can't argue with it. Mm. I wasn't a great role model in a lot of ways, but I would also like to think that I never did things that I look back and cringe too much at yep. and I never got into too much trouble. Um, and I could have done Andy. Like my mum passed away when I was nine and I had a lot of free time. And my dad, I had three sisters. Yep. My dad was uh, away a lot um, through work, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. He, like he's trying to feed four kids. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of free time, and I, I, they could have gone different mm. ways, you know. So rugby league was a, was a godsend for me that it it kept me uh, interested and involved, mm. and I ended up being great mates. I grew up in Raymond Terrace. I ended up, and I'm still great mates with – with uh, with the, the the same family, I was almost the fifth son of of you know th- this family that I spent every weekend with type yeah. thing. So uh, rugby league was so important for me early on that it it kept me on a good path. Where you know time on my hands, you know, I, I don't know how I go here, but I, I remember my father was leaving to go to work one morning, and I needed a, a note for school. And so what Dad would do, he'd actually just sign the bottom, and we and I could fill in what I wanted. So I could have actually sat down you know, to headmaster or to whom may concern. Please excuse Peter from school for the next six months for whatever, <laughs> whatever. But I never did. Maybe I should have. I don't know. So um, I, I had a lot of latitude then. Um, so rugby league was was vital that it kept my energy um, in the right place and kept me on the right path. A travelled youngster, you'd arrive in Sydney and in the top grade in 1978. Debut day, July 23, Cumberland Oval against St George. Mm. What are your fondest memories of the old Cumberland Oval before it went up in flames? Well, I just want to talk about that game first up. my I wouldn't say it's a fond memory, but I still have this, the sprig marks of Mitch Rep Brennan who ran straight over the top of me in that debut game. So they're still on my chest um, <laughs> from all of those years ago. Uh, Cumberland Oval was – I loved Cumberland Oval. It was – it had nothing going for it, but it was ours. Yeah. And it was barbed wire around the place. It was it was bitumen. The the dress the dressing rooms and the ramshackle um, grandstands was was a complete fire hazard, but it was ours. Yeah. yeah. And 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 we loved being there. We loved inviting teams to come there. Maybe not so much like you know, Lidcombe Oval and the Western Suburbs mm. boys did, but we thought if you're you know coming to to where we live, you know there's no niceties mm. there for you. There's no no comfort for you. Um. And I think it was fitting 
that I, I, I saw the last of Cumberland Oval from the sports lounge on the top of Parramatta Lees Club after the grand final win and I could see this orange glow in the distance and I eventually meandered over there and saw it in its full glory as it's being burnt to the ground by um, joyous Parramatta fans. Probably a fitting way for it to go. Yeah. Um, but it, it was yes. Uh, I do, I do remember before I came to Parramatta, I asked somebody about the club and you know the ground and the supporters, and someone said the supporters they're fantastic. I said they turn up the Parramatta Oval, which is surrounded by barbed wire, on Harley Davidson motorcycles, yeah. with. Uh, covered in tattoos, and they've got cigarettes rolled up in their sleeves uh, up to the top of their shoulders, and they said, and that's just the women. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, this is me. This is my kind of place. So the, the golden west of Sydney is going to suit yeah. me perfectly. Um, but wonderful, wonderful supporters. When we won the grand final in 1981, the most endearing memory for me is the bus pulling up and not close to the club because it couldn't get close mm. because there were 5,000 people outside who couldn't get in, and we got off the bus and got passed over their heads, mm. like physically on top, to get into the club. And I could see what it meant on people's faces that we had finally mm. broken the duck. And 1947 had been a long time, had gone close in the mid to late 70s, but to actually get it done – and to see the looks on the people's faces as they're passing me across to go into the club, I will never, ever forget it. I was fortunate, Andy, to have a lot of success in my career. Nothing is ever above winning the first grand final for the club. And you know, we, we, we won grand final since. We'll win the game in the future, but we'll never win it for the first ever time. And that's – I'll never forget that night. Having done these Legend Series interviews with Brett Kenny, Ray Price and Mick Cronin already – to a man, they all say 1981. Yeah, is that memory that stands out? That's something special in in a career littered with success like you've all had. It's that day and that night that stands Nothing out. Nothing higher than that. No, you know, to, to obviously the first time to put on a green and gold jersey, um, you know, is 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 the ultimate. And to actually go and play for Hull FC at Wembley yeah. in a Challenge Cup final in front of a hundred thousand people. Yeah, my dad would wake me up when I was seven or eight in Wagga Wagga uh, at two a.m. to watch the games being played yep. in, in and and Wembley Stadium with like the hallowed turf with the cross the way that it was cut yep. and that so you know as a seven or eight year old to think that one day to go and play there you know in front of that kind of crowd you just don't ever envisage that was going to happen but nothing is above the Parramatta win and I'm a bit of a fatalist, Andy. Uh, I believe in karma, fate, kismet, destiny, all of those kind of things. The official crowd when we beat Newtown in 1981 was 57,333. Now, if you put that on a calculator and so it's digitalised, 57,333 and turn it upside down, it spells eels. Yeah. So it was meant to be. That was, it was never going to be any other result but that one that day. Your run-on debut, which is a cracking trivia question, because at the time you were the third grade five-eighth, was at fullback, and it was a minor semi-final. But at this stage in 1978, the Eels had built quite the roster, different types, different backgrounds, but winners. Who were the leaders that you looked to? 
Oh, certainly the the elder statesmen in, in Ray Price and Mick Cronin. Mm. Uh, they were the leaders. When Steve Edge came across from St. George, no coincidence that we won yeah. a title under his leadership. So to bring him across was a masterstroke, mm. no doubt. Now, we, we to win, to be successful and, and win premierships, you need to have a balance in your football team. And you need to have a, a lot of things covered. You need to have experience. You need to have, you know, exciting youngsters in the side. You need to... You need luck, all those kind of things, yep. you know, constitute a, a premiership win. And we had that. So we had those kind of players, uh, you know, Ron Hilditch. Yeah. Um, but maybe the icing on the cake, apart from Steve Edge coming across, is Jack Gibson. Yep. Who came in, who coached at the club for three years and just so happened to win three premiership titles there. So, But Jack was also a very – very astute in understanding or recognising an organisation that was ready to have success. He saw what Paramount had to offer yes. with these youngsters coming through, but with the senior players there um, and you know, good junior nursery and mm. that coming through. So he, I, you know, he he understood that the place was primed for success, despite yeah. the fact we got beaten in seventy six and, and seventy seven and mm. had been very very close. But I think that you know, him coming in. Um, and and guiding and just directing what needed to be done was why you know the duck was finally broken, or as he put it, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead. Coaching is as much in the timing as anything else. That's been said before, mm. and I think it rings true with Jack and and his record at Parramatta. What was it about Ray and Mick that that separated them from the rest? Very different people. Oh yes, Ray. <laughs> Race, race an acquired taste, <laughs> and, and I did because she had no choice. Yeah. Ray, he didn't give you any choice. Ray, Ray's just the ultimate competitor. And the analogy I've sort of often used with Ray is: there was a ball on the ground, and six players would dive on it. Ray would be one of the six. He'd be the last one up. He'd have blood streaming from his head. But the only important thing and the most important thing is he'd have the ball tucked under his arm. Yep. And that's the way that everything was a contest. And he drove us hard. He he expected you to invest as much as he did. Now, when I saw Ray Price on a Sunday after a game in a shed, I'm thinking, well, he doesn't play next week. Yeah. But he would go home and he'd ice the body. He'd set the alarm clock. He'd get up every three hours, ice the body. He'd be he'd do light stuff on Tuesdays. He'd feel better Wednesdays. Mm. We'd have the team run on Thursdays. He'd be good. And then he'd go out and he'd do it all again the following weekend. Mm. And he expected you to do the same thing. There was wow. no shortcuts. Yep. Um, you know, he, he, that was that was his leadership role. Mick was much more uh, quiet and composed, but Mick was a, a, a and still is a, a, a man of few words. Yeah. Um, and I love that. You know, I, I love an economy when it comes to, 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 to leadership. Yep. Um, and Mick had that, you know, when he said something, you listened, mm. you know. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, Galaxy Finance. Sponsors and personal friends that I trust, that I trust enough to go to with questions about my own finances. That's not a sales pitch, that's fact. Any questions, any queries, they have the solutions from home loan lending to complete financial planning. With official interest rates at an all-time low, the lenders want your business. With Galaxy Finance, they'll do all the work for you and find the best possible deal. They'll do it all. 
Get in contact, ask for Leanne, and mention Unfiltered for a free chat. A free chat. No obligations. A free chat just by mentioning Unfiltered. Galaxyfinance.com.au is where you can find them. Just on that, I don't recall Jack Gibson coming down. It, one of the grand final wins we had, and we had a good lead over Manly, might, might have been 17, 16, 4 or something. I don't remember Jack Gibson coming down to the sheds at half time. So to me, one of the greatest halftime speeches he ever gave had there was nothing to it because yeah. by the fact that he didn't come down, what he was saying to us is this one of the grand finals? This is a grand final, yeah, eighty two or eighty three. I don't remember him coming down and addressing the group. And what that, what I took from that is that, well, everything's okay. I, I don't need to say anything to you. Basically, go out and do the same thing in the second half. I've never been more confident about winning a football game than going out in that second half of that one because Jack never, ever felt the need to fill the void, yes. to fill the space. And I think there are some coaches, and I didn't plan to that many, but I think that there are some coaches who who have to fill the space to justify their job. Yeah, Jack never felt that. So Jack only said something if he felt that something needed to be said. And at halftime in a grand final when we were going well, there was no need to say anything. So um, now that kind of leadership came from from Mick as well in regards to he only said something if something needed to be said um, or had good senses of humour. Yeah. Yeah, when Jack Gibson signed at the club, everybody sort of thought that he had this aura of unapproachability and, you know, was a stern co- – couldn't have been further from the truth. Like he was – I love Jack. You know, Jack – and I truly, when I say loved him, I loved him. Yeah. Like I loved him as a as a friend, as a as a mentor, all of those kind of things. I was only coached by Jack for three years, but for the next twenty, if I had a an area of concern or a problem in my life, he would be the first person I called. And I know he welcomed the phone call. He did. And it could do with anything. Yeah. Like, you know, we didn't we didn't talk that much rugby league. You know, Jack. Mm. I love Jack because I know Jack loved me. Um, he was way more concerned about me as an individual than as a rugby league player. He was mm. – I learned so much more from Jack Gibson than just to run past tackle and yeah. kick, you know. Um, so we had that kind of leadership at the club and, and you need that kind of leadership to be successful. In your three analogies there, Ray, Mick and Jack. Leadership, I'll throw Edgy in as well. And Steve. Yeah. Leadership comes in many and different forms, doesn't it? Yeah, There's no playbook for it. No, no, and – uh, leadership comes in, in in so many different ways as well. It can be verbal, or it can just be um, leading the way. You yeah, know, do as I do yep. type thing. So, um, but the great leaders I find don't necessarily, you know, they don't acknowledge themselves as great leaders. It's just it's a really natural thing mm. for them. Speaking of natural, the most naturally talented footballer you've seen. I think you've been on record by saying that, Brett Kenny. The combination of you and Brett, so good, certainly in the discussion for best ever, two different footballers, two very different blokes, but the yin and the yang, you found each other at the right time. Yeah, I made him look good for 10 years, Andy. That's right. That's, that's um, He'll tell you different. He'll talk about the passes he had to pick off off, off his bootlaces. But, <laughs> um, yeah, he was, he was easy to play inside. Um, my job at the Parramatta side was very easy. 
because when you've got Brett Kenny, Stephen Eller, Mick Cronin, Eric Groth, throw in Neil Hunt, Steve McKenzie or Paul Taylor, yeah. my job was to get the ball to them at the right times. Mm. So if I caught the football, it was either I needed – if I saw something, then I would take the line on. Mm. But more often than not, it was just to get the ball to Brett in as much space and as much room as I could mm. in the best position. My job was to count numbers. Yep. Now, to me, rugby league has always been a, a really simple game, and it's kind of – to me, it's a mathematical game. Yeah. Um, and everybody wants to make it different, difficult. But if we had four players on one side of the field and they had three – it made sense to me that that was where we had to go. Yeah. Um, and conversely, on on the other side, if we we had numbers or that, you know, that that was a side to go. Um, it was also about trying to break down defences. Um, if you if if you keep going at a, at a wall in different spots, you don't break it down. That easily, yeah. But if you if you go and concentrate at, at the one spot, at the right time and the right person, you'll break them down there because yeah. eventually you'll wear them you'll wear mm. them down. So that my job was to work out where the ball was to go, but most importantly was to get it to the right people mm. at the right times in the right areas. And Brett was just such Brett was poetry in motion. Mm. If you have a look at the way that the bottom the the, the lower half of his body didn't deviate a whole lot but the mm. the the top path did like it's it it was it was poetry yeah yeah you know, there was a grace ab- about it you know mm. um and throwing speed and and a swerve and all those kind of mm. things and you've got the ideal package my job was really easy i played with great great players my job was not to detract from their greatness you know to make it easy for them to be as good as they can be. They say the same thing about you. They say that they played with great players. I'd like to think, Andy, I didn't make any team a worse team for me being in it. You know, I, I know my I, – I understood my uh, – um, I can't think of the word – restrictions in the game as to what I could do and what I couldn't do. Yeah. I was a good kicker of the football. I was an astute kicker of the yeah. football. I'm not going to run 50 or 60 metres and score a try for you, but I can open up a hole for you for someone else yep. to do it. Um, I still think the best part of my game was understanding what we needed to do under fatigue and under duress with five minutes to go. Yeah. Um, and those kind of things allowed me to be the type of player that, that I was. Mm. But I've never lost sight of the fact that I had greatness around me mm. And my job was just a pretty simple one to make sure that they could express that uh, the best way possible. Two-pronged question, Pete. Um, accolades and criticism. Because when you ride the wave of success, the expectation comes, pressure comes, you've been called the best ever. How do you deal with that? You've been called overrated. How do you deal with that? I, neither can not, I don't deal with either of them. I um, I know my place. I you know, I've I won four premierships. I played thirteen Origins. I played eighteen Tests from the country. I I don't need to I don't need to mm. say anything to anybody. You know, I, and I'm not saying that my CV or my record speaks for itself. But oh, it does. But I you know I played over two hundred first grade games in the toughest competition mm. in. Um, and I'm I'm proud of of that fact. Mm. Um, I don't 
I'm 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 the cliche. I'm like everybody else who who are close to me in the game. I just I just wanted to be the type of player that other players wanted to play yeah. with. And you, I know yeah. you've heard that before, but it's true. Yeah. That's that's what you that's what you want. You just you just want to be respected by your peers. And that's the only criticism that that's the only appraisal of me as a player that I would mm. entertain is the players I played with and against as to how they feel about me. Mm. And some will be more complimentary than others. Mm. Um but that that's that's okay. I don't what others say about you, good or bad, doesn't affect no, you. No, it's you know, I, I always had the belief, you know, the in a lot of ways, not just in rugby, but things are never as good as they seem, and they're never as bad as yeah. they seem. And and if if I can if I can just go along and accommodate both of those, mm. um, and still do my very best, and still the greatest reward I ever got out of the game, Andy, and I'm and there is no doubt about this. And I, you know, I was I won awards and I mm. got a lot of accolades. That the greatest reward I ever got out of the game was when under Jack Gibson at the end of the game, if he walked past me and he looked at me and he said, "You've done good," everything, everything was justified. That's is all that I needed right? to hear. That was that is the greatest reward I've ever got out of the game is the super coach walking past and saying, "You did good," and that's that's. That's the greatest reward I ever got out of the game. In doing these, I guess, more personal interviews, I've come to the conclusion that I believe you elite guys have an amazing mental strength and focus that's the base of your success, even well before we get into the physical traits that separate you. Are you a mentally strong fella? Absolutely. You are? I, well, I couldn't, I couldn't survive if I wasn't. Yep. I was a huge believer in, in mental rehearsal and mental imagery, yep. I would go to sleep at night seeing myself be successful. Because I know Tiger Woods at his best it would go to sleep at night and he'd see himself hitting drives down the middle of mm. the fairway uh, yep. in Grand Slam events. So, you know, Roger Federer, I know he sees himself hitting aces in Grand Slam tournaments. Yep. It's, it's amazing how the mental transcends the physical. Mm. So I was a huge believer in in being as good as I could be um, in my head, mm. and and the rest will will fall into place. So, um, and, and I needed that. As I said, I I, I know my limitations was the word I was looking yeah. for. I say I'm I'm not big. I'm not strong. I'm yeah. not all of the things that I would love to have had the size and speed and all of that of, of, mm. of some other players. I I was able to play over two hundred first grade game, two hundred first grade games in Sydney, because in my head, I was a I was. I was as good a competitor as I came up against in my mind. A golden era, 81, 82, 83 for the Parramatta Reels over Newtown, then Manly and Manly. Is it as good a side as we've seen? You mentioned earlier the, the Roosters of 74, 75. Yeah, look, it's difficult to compare eras. But, if, you know, no one's won three premierships since and mm. and the game, you know, the game has changed. It's not going to be easy to, to do in the future. No, so. It's not. You know, by that very fact alone, um, that the team and that's pretty much mm. the nucleus of that side over three years um, is very similar. I again, it's not for me to rate those kind of things. I just mm. think that I was part of a wonderful football team that had a lot of success a long, long time ago, and we've seen great sides since, and we saw wonderful sides beforehand. 
but the game, you, you look at the game now compared to what it was back then, very, very different. Yeah. But I will say I still think that that team of the early 80s for Parramatta, you bring them into in the modern day with the same training methods and all those kind of things, I think they'd be just as successful. A tremendous era of football, but footballers, as in genuine footballers, who did you view as the best players, the best competitors, the best footballers, for whatever reason? Because you weren't robots back then, and, and I'm not having a dig at the current day, but they're wonderful athletes. There's a lot of robots. Yeah, I, you know, to me, a guy like Terry Lamb probably stands yeah. out. You know, you look at, at you now that Canterbury side who won as many premierships as we did in the 80s, and obviously Turvey. Um, was yep. a huge leader of that, and they had, you know, they had the dogs of war. They had the entertainers at the beginning of that yeah. decade, and then they finished up as the dogs of war. Terry Lamb, um, I got an enormous rap on as yeah. as a player who you just knew every time you ran out against him, you got a tough afternoon. You yep. know, he's just going to compete on every play, and um, so I guess those kind of players stand out for me. I mentioned Wayne Pierce early on. I, I love the way that he played the game. Um, Gene Miles, yeah, from from um, yeah, I'm, I'm gutted by the fact I think we were close to getting him at Parramatta at one stage, yes. and for some reason that uh, I'd have liked to have played club footy with yeah. with Gino f- for sure. So yeah, looks some so many great players and and, and different players, um, but it's 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 a different game, you know. I, you know, I, I marked Tommy, yeah, you know, that's I, right. That's, which was a scary proposition, but I, I got on really well with with Tommy. You know, I I think he kind of saw a bit of a kindred spirit because I yeah. was I was slow and and you know <laughs> I, I wasn't flashy or anything like that. He didn't like flashy. He'd grab and flat and he'd belt flashy out of you. You know, that's but he never had to worry about that with yeah. me type thing. And that's so. Uh, um, but yeah, look, I, I guess a lot of characters. Mm. You know, back in those days as well, yeah, I, there I was. played against Dallas Donnelly and yeah, you know, those kind of players. Um, I think I I'm biased. I just think that it was a wonderful era, you know, so the seventies, the eighties, those type of. Not saying that you know the, the athletes of today, and and I guess and we call football athletes these days because they are, you know, mm. they're bigger, stronger, faster than they've ever been, and the game is fantastic. You know the way that they play it, and uh, you know I sit back in awe of what they mm. they achieve. We just had a different type of game, you know, and yeah. there was an awe about our game as well. Yeah, there was. You know the there was a real gladiatorial aspect. Yep. Um, and that's that's we've got to be really careful we don't lose that, and that's the one advantage we have after over so many other sports, yeah. especially physical contact sports, is that you know that knock them down, drag them out Mm-mm. type of type of contest is something that it's the fabric of our game, uh, and I, I loved the, the aspect I loved about the game is that. It was such a physical fatigue about it that if you were down, if you were out of, you had nothing left. Now you're on the ground, you've got nothing left. I miss having a bloke either side of me grab me, pull me back up, drag me into the line, mm. and I knew I had their back and yeah. they'd look after me type thing. I hope that still exists and I hope the fans still see that because mm. that's what that's what our game is about. You know, we all want to see great tries being scored, yeah. but we want to see that going through the pain barrier and getting up there when you've got nothing mm. left and still finding something because that's when greatness happens. In those those moments more than anything else, yeah. um, that's what that's what sells our game to the fan because they recognise that. 
We hope you're enjoying this edition of Andy Raymond Unfiltered. The Legends series drops at the start of your working week. It's in-depth, personal and highlights some of the game's finest from yesteryear. The weekly wodge drops in time for your weekend. It's full on and the hottest podcast on the market. Why listen to opinions when you can listen to interviews with the stars? And on every episode, you can hear up to a dozen different players and coaches, both past and present, giving their thoughts on the great game. It's fast-paced, full of footy and laughs. It's a must-listen. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening. That way, you won't miss a thing. Every episode will drop immediately. Before you go, we'd love a five-star rating and review. It's not for ego, it's for business, as we look to expand the unfiltered brand and bring you more. Make sure you come back soon. Legends. Legends.